This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You guys. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Peter. And uh, I am uh, leading our church through a series on 1 Peter. Uh, and, I, and and if you, if you wonder, you know, if, if you're leading your church through a series on 1 Peter, then how are you here this morning? <laughs> Um, it's because since we are a church plant, uh, we have a little bit of flexibility, and we meet at night. Uh, we meet at 6 o'clock at night. So I'll be preaching there tonight. I'm, I'm going through a, a series on First Peter, and I've been supply preaching in all kinds of different churches. And I'm basically the first time I've preached someplace lately. I've been I've been uh, here in First Peter, and and then going on if, if I'm invited back again. So we'll see. <laughs> um, 1 Peter is a letter written to a suffering church in the midst of a hostile environment. Uh, And I think for that reason, it is very relevant for us today, right? Uh, We are a church, and we live in churches in our nation and in our world that are living within the midst of a hostile environment. Now, we may not live in the, under the kind of persecution that you see in places like southern Sudan or the places that you see like, like China, uh, where communist China is, is tearing down churches and, and persecuting Christians. But we do live in the midst of a hostile environment. If you don't believe me, just check out Twitter. You know, check out social media and see what, what secular people say about Christians today. Uh, and, 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 and watch the news and, and, and see how, how we're talked about like bigots if we hold to what the Bible teaches about sexual morality. Um, we, we, we live in the midst of a hostile environment. And so for that reason, I think the book of 1 Peter is very, very relevant to our lives today. So let's let's go ahead and look at what what Peter has to say, Um, beginning in verse one of of chapter one. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to the to Jesus Christ. And for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us comfortless. Lord, you have sent your spirit to be with us. Lord, you have left us your word. You have have given us the very words that you want us to know. Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we pray that you would give us joy in the midst of a hostile world. Father, I pray that you give me grace and strength as I preach your word this morning. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Peter begins just like almost any letter. He addresses, he, he identifies himself as the author. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to skip over that. Of course, Peter, we know who that is, don't we? Uh, if we've read the Gospels, if, we've, uh, if we have any familiarity with Christianity at all, we know that Peter was uh, that one who was the first to confess that Jesus was the Christ, right? Uh, whenever Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? And Jesus, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's also the one that, that denied that he even knew Jesus. And yet Jesus restored him. And he gave that, that, that amazing sermon on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people believed. This is that, that one. And he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now an apostle is one who is sent. Uh, one who is sent uh, as a messenger to, to proclaim a message. And so as Peter, and, and it's also, uh, I think in this sense, it's a technical di uh, diagnosis, not diagnosis, but a, a designation, a technical designation as uh, an office of the early church. We don't have apostles today in this sense. Peter was one who was a, a in person commissioned by Jesus to be one of the apostles, like Matthew and like Bartholomew and like all those other apostles we have. And, and, and Paul, who, who uh, met Jesus on the road to, to Damascus and was made an apostle as one untimely born. Peter was an apostle, and with this he spoke with the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus was sending him to speak authoritatively. And because of that, when we hear these words, we need to understand that we're hearing what Jesus wants us to hear. It's not just the words of a man. These are, are the words of Jesus' representative to us, written down here in Scripture. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He lists this name, these, the names of these churches. These were historical churches that existed there in Asia Minor. Uh, if, you, if you follow uh, on a map from one to the next to the next, it kind of goes around in a circle. Um, this letter was probably an encyclical, meaning it was, it was sent uh, in, with the intention of being traveled from one church to the next church to the next church to the next church. And he says here that he's writing to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, by the dispersion, there, there are some historical things that could be referring to. Uh, the dispersion could be the sense that, that uh, Nero, or one of, the, one of the, I don't think it was Nero, but one of the, the Roman emperors actually expelled all the Jews out of Rome, and along with them, the Christians were too, because the Roman emperor didn't make a distinction between Jews and Christians at that time. And, and he expelled all, these, all, all of these people out of Rome. And it may be that these, these exiles, these, these, uh, the, these that were part of the dispersion, were sent out from there. But really, the early church, from the very moment of the, the beginning of the spread of the early church, we were a dispersed people. You had the early church meeting there in Jerusalem, and they stayed there, and they stayed there. And all of a sudden, in order to get the message of the gospel out to all the nations... God sends persecution in Jerusalem, and they spread. They scatter, right? And so whether it's some specific historical event that caused them to be dispersed, or whether it's just 
The fact that by nature, Christianity has been a spreading religion, <laughs> a spreading phenomenon. Um, we can relate to that because here today, we are believers all over the world on every continent. I'm sure there's probably some scientific researcher in Antarctica <laughs> that's, uh, that's a believer. On every continent, um, we're all over the world. We are a scattered church, and wherever we exist all over the world, we are living in the midst of a hostile environment. And we are exiles. This world is not our home, like the old country song, right? I'm just passing through. This world is not our we, we are, in, the, in, in one sense, we are made for this earth. You know, God made Adam and Eve and placed them in a garden on this earth in, 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 in a perfect way for, for us to live in. So we were made to live here. And, and, and also, one of these days, Jesus is coming back again. And he's going to set all things right. And he's going to restore this broken world into its original creation design. And so in that sense, we are still going to be made for this world. But in this here and now, in this time that we live after the cross, and while we await his coming, we live in a world as if we are exiles. We are citizens of another kingdom. We are, our king is on his way here, and we are living by the rules of his kingdom while we wait his coming. Amen? So we are to live like exiles in that way. And oh, it uses this word. <laughs> Those who are elect exiles. Elect. Now a lot of the times we, we get to that word and we get scared. We're like, oh, elect? I, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk. Well, I'm, I'm the kind of preacher that doesn't skip any words. So we'll talk about it. Um, elect exiles. Now, I don't want to get into speculations about all kinds of things about uh, you know how God chooses or anything like that. But what we do need to know here is the fact that God has chosen us needs to be a comfort to us. We're living in the midst of a hostile environment, and and, and the world is against us, against against us, and it ought to be a comfort to us for us to know, hey, God chose me. Okay. So I'm dealing with the word here. I'm saying it, it, it should be comforting to us to know. We didn't get this way by accident. That, that, this is not uh, something that happened by random chance. But we're where we are right now because God chose me. And that will bring comfort to us in the midst of this hostile world. So he names these different churches and he says... They're elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, um, notice first, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in our salvation here. All three. It was planned by God the Father. It was, it was according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It was His plan of redemption that he would, he would send the Son into the world, that He would die for our sins, and that He would save us. 
We, as, as we live in the midst of this hostile world, we need to remember that we're where we are according to God's plan. That, that, that he has, has planned a marvelous and grand plan of redemption that he's placed us in. He's chosen us and he's planned for us to be there. We're, uh, the Father planned our salvation. And then in, in the sanctification of the Spirit, in the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit's work in salvation is in applying it to us. Uh, he sanctifies us. What does sanctification mean? Well, uh, there's two ideas there. One is it, it, it's a sense of growing in holiness. It's a, a sense of, of uh, making us more like Jesus. But it's also a setting apart. It's, it's, it's uh, taking us out of the world and setting us apart. And the Spirit is the one who does that. So it's the Father's plan. The Spirit Apply salvation in that when we hear the word preached, he, he cleanses us. He opens our eyes. He brings new life. He is the one who brings about the new birth in our lives. The Spirit does. And he sets us apart from the rest of the world. Then, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He names two things here about Jesus. First of all, for obedience to Jesus Christ. We didn't get saved so that we could just have Jesus, get fire insurance, and just live on our own, whatever we wanted to do for him. No, we were saved with a purpose in mind. In God's mind, our, the purpose of our salvation was for obedience to Jesus Christ. He saved us so that we would become Obedient to Jesus Christ. The end in mind of saving us, of redeeming us, of bringing us new life, of, of, of uh, uh, opening our eyes and setting us apart from the rest of the world was so that we would be a people who are obedient to Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. That's good for us to remember in the midst of a hostile world. What Jesus has done in our lives He's called us to obedience. And we may have pressures from the outside world to cave. We may have pressures from the outside world to, to, to give up. We need to remember we have been saved for obedience to Jesus, not for conformity to the world. And, he says, for sprinkling with his blood. We have been saved. We have been redeemed. Because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus didn't come just to be our moral example. Jesus didn't come just to be a good teacher. He came to be the sacrificial lamb for us. He came so that he would live a perfect spotless life and be killed as a sacrifice in our place. Jesus Blood, uh, we, we sing the songs, you know. We sing, um, are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The shedding of blood by Jesus, it washes us clean and atones for our sin. Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. 
We are sinners. We, we were lost without him. And he came and he gave his own blood for us. So it was the Father's plan. It was the Spirit who applies it to us. And it is, it is for the obedience to Jesus Christ. It's all made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So at the end of this introduction, he gives this, this prayer. May this be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And I think as, as, uh, as we consider that, I think we, we should... We should understand he's asking that grace, our awareness of his grace, our awareness of the fact that we, we can owe nothing to ourselves, uh, that, that, that there's nothing in ourselves, but it's only what he has given out of his perfect grace. Uh, that awareness that we have should be more and more increasing within us. And then also, may peace be multiplied. When we know more of his grace, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we ought to be able to live in the midst of a hostile world. We ought to be able to live in the midst of turmoil and difficulties and disease like cancer and um, coronavirus and all the different things that we face and have peace because we have Jesus. May those things be multiplied to you. Now, that was all introductory. Now we're getting to the really meaty part. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that comes after that in this sermon is all reasons why we ought to do this here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the point here. Our whole purpose in looking at this text is it ought to cause us to praise God. It ought to cause us to praise Him. Uh, that's, that's, that's what everything else is contingent on here in, the, on, in these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have a reason to praise Him? Do we have a reason to praise Him, to bless Him? If we don't have a reason right now, let's look at what the text tells us. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living home. That ought to be a reason to praise him. Let's think about this. According to his great mercy. His mercy is great. It is big. It is not stingy, but it is great mercy. And, and what is mercy? It's, of course, when we, get, when we don't get what we deserve, right? We deserve God's wrath and punishment. We deserve hell. And yet God has been merciful to us and he has spared us. He has, has delivered us from that and that has been merciful. We didn't deserve it. We were rebels shaking our fists at God. And he, instead of, of wiping us out like we deserve, instead of that, he has called us sons and daughters. He has washed away our sins. He has given us a new heart according to His great mercy. That ought to cause us to praise Him. That ought to 
cause us to praise Him and shout hallelujah, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, what has He done? He has caused us to be born again. He's given us new life. He's, he's taken us. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and he's brought us to life. Uh, you know, Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus came to him at night, and Nicodemus was asking how someone enters the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells him, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. He says, you know, did you just have to go back into your mother and be born a second time physically? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have to be born both of the water and of the spirit. And, and scholars debate about exactly what that means, but, but I, I think it at least means we not only need to be born physically, but we need to be born spiritually. We, we, are, we are born into this world spiritually dead, and we need to come to life. We need to come to life. We need to have our eyes open. We were once blind, but now we see. We see. And God has caused that to happen to us. If we're here and we're believers, and in the midst of COVID-19, I think that maybe the only ones who aren't believers would be those who were just small children who were unable to understand. Why would anybody be here <laughs> if you're not believers? So this is for you. He has caused us to be born again. He's given us a new life. To a living hope. It's not a dead hope, right? It's a living hope. Every religion tries to give people hope, right? And, and they're hoping in something. Maybe they're hoping in their own goodness. Hoping that they can be just a good enough person that they can be accepted into paradise. Maybe they're, they're hoping in, in their goods, in, in, in their income, and in what they have in the bank. Or... But we have a living hope. We have a living hope. Uh, a living hope, a hope that can be counted on. A hope that is dependable. And why is it a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is living. We can count on it. We can know that it's alive and well because Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? Every other religion in the world is a philosophy. It's just some kind of teaching that you're trying to follow. But we have, in, in, in Christianity, we have God entering the world, living as a human being, dying and rising again. And if you need evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, you can look at uh, the fact that all of his disciples saw him after he rose from the dead. Thomas doubted. You know, he, he didn't believe. And then he actually saw Jesus, got to touch him, got to put his hand in his side and his, in his hand. And he believed. He, he was someone who didn't believe at first. But after he saw Jesus physically risen from the dead... It wasn't some kind of a mass hallucination like some have theorized. No, Thomas was in his right mind. He doubted, and when he actually saw Jesus, he was like, whoa, my Lord and my God. Right? And you have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul thought, oh, this Christianity thing, it's just a, it's, it's a false religion. And he wanted to wipe it out. He was, he was going out trying to arrest Christians to persecute them. And 
He met Jesus resurrected on the road to Damascus. And he was changed from someone who hated Jesus to someone who was proclaiming to the whole world. And he wrote half the New Testament. We have a living hope because of the resurrected Jesus. We, Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. But it is, it is also, it is living, it is, it is fundamentally um, trustworthy because Jesus rose from the dead. And we can believe the historical eyewitnesses that he really rose from the dead. Why is Jesus different than anybody else? Because he rose from the dead in space, time, and history. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That ought to cause us to praise him, right? I keep pointing back to that. That ought to cause us to praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ought to praise him because we've been born again to a living hope that's dependable to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have an inheritance. An inheritance, we know, is something you receive after the death of a, of a loved one, right? And, of course, God doesn't die. Uh, it's using this as a kind of a, a metaphorical thing. It's something that we're looking forward to receiving one day. We have an inheritance that it, it, it's something that's we look forward to. It's, it's great. It's miraculous. It's wonderful. And we look forward to receiving it one day. So... Our inheritance is when Jesus comes again and he sets all things right and we reign with him. Right? Our inheritance is that, that salvation when he comes and we no longer have to inhabit this broken world, but he comes and makes all things new. Our inheritance is imperishable. When I think of something that's perishable, I, I often think of a piece of fruit, and, and this summer I've just really, really enjoyed peaches. Uh, and at Wayne's Market in Greenville, I don't know if anybody goes there, but they had some really good peaches earlier this year. They just melt in your mouth. They're just so good. I just love them. But there was one my daughter was cutting open, and she found this, this bug crawling out of. And it's perishable. Perishable. It, it's it's going to go bad. Uh, um, you know, and, and, and I, as much as I enjoyed them, after a while, they start to get wrinkly. As they sit there on the counter, if you get too many of them, you can't eat them all in time. So you cut them open, and even though it's a little bit wrinkly, I wouldn't bite it, and it just doesn't taste quite like it did before. It's, it's perishable. And then if they sit too long, you start to get the fruit flies flying all around them and everything, and it's perishable. Oh, our inheritance that we have laid up for us is imperishable. It's never going to go bad. It's always going to be completely satisfying. Not like the perishable things that we find some joy in, like a nice, juicy, fresh peach. Our inheritance is imperishable. And it is undefiled. Everything in our lives is defiled. Everything is stained by sin and its consequences. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, our entire experience as human beings is one that's broken because of sin. We experience death. We experience sickness. We experience coronavirus. We experience all, you know, broken relationships. We experience 
um, hostility between people. All of that is because we live in an experience that is defiled and is stained by sin. But our experience, that this inheritance that we will receive one day, is undefiled. There will be no sin. There will be no brokenness. There will be no sickness. There will be no coronavirus. There will be no cancer. There will be no pulmonary fibrosis. There will be no heart disease. There will, and uh, it will be undefiled. Our relationships will be in perfect harmony because there will no longer be the same sin. It will be undefiled. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And with, with, with this one, an unfading thing, I think of a book. Uh, a book that's nice and, you know, brand new. And you, it comes in the mail. I just can't wait to open the package. And it's so nice. And um, all the pages are crisp. And it even smells good, you know. Anybody that's a reader that, that feels that way about books? Yeah. Um, and, and you love it so much, you just read it and read it and read it. And then all of a sudden... After so many readings, you've, you've, the, the, the pages have been tattered and, and binding maybe falling apart. Even your favorite book, it's just maybe falling apart and it fades. You, you may, it may sit out in the sun. And the sun shining on that just causes that, that, um, that cover to fade. And it's just not the same as it was before. And it fades. Or a, a brand new car. You know, guys, you, 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 you go out and you get the brand new car and, and you, you bring it home and you just, you, you just want to go out and sit in it sometimes just because of the, of the feel of having that brand new car. And you, you take it over to show somebody and, and you show them this, you turn up the, the sound on the sound system and just let that bass pump. You know, I mean, it, it is, it is, it's, it's very satisfying experience, right? It's, but, Get a few miles on it. You got maybe a rock that hit up and hit the windshield, and there's a chip, or you got uh, the paint beginning to peel and chip or something, and you got you got maybe uh, you know getting up there in miles, and it's not getting quite the gas mileage you used to, and you know the muffler probably could use a new muffler. All the all these different things in our experience with that fades. But the hope that we have in Jesus, the, the inheritance that we have laid up for us is unfading. It will always be just as satisfying the moment that we as the moment we received it. When we've been there 10,000 years, right? We have no less days to sing God's praise than when we just begun. It'll never fade. And it's kept in heaven for you. Here on this earth, all the things that we have, they're where moth and rust can destroy, and where thieves can break in and steal. Like Jesus talked about, he said to put our treasure in heaven. <laughs> this inheritance that we have in Jesus is kept in heaven for you. It's kept in heaven. Nobody can break in and steal that inheritance. Nobody can, no, no, no moth or rust can destroy that. It is kept in heaven. And I love that last two verses. For you. It's specific. It's particular. It's for you, believers. 
And once you've been born again, it's for you. It's got your name on it, this inheritance does. That ought to cause you to praise Him, right? <laughs> that ought to cause you to praise Him. It, it, you know, we should bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because He's caused us to be born again. Hallelujah! He's, he's got an inheritance for us that is will never fade away. It's, it's perfect and will always be satisfying. And it's got our name on it. It's for you. That ought to cause us to praise Him. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He switches here. He says, it's kept in heaven for you. And then he says, who, that you and the who are the same person, right? You are being kept by God's power. And that's, that's important for us to remember. You're being kept by God's power and being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. That word guarded is the idea of putting a garrison of soldiers around. God is guarding you. He's got like a, a garrison of angelic soldiers all around you, guarding you. He is, he is guarding you by his power. And why is that important? Well, we live in the midst of a hostile world. And we live with all kinds of pressures on us to give in, to give up, to cave to the world. We don't want to be called a bigot. We don't want to be, we don't want to be people to not like us because of our, our Christian faith. And, so there are, and we don't want to face persecution. And so there are all kinds of pressures on us. And, and maybe sometimes we just feel like, I don't feel like I have enough faith today. I don't feel like I can make it another moment. It doesn't depend on us. We're guarded by God. We are, we are kept by God's power. And there's nothing more powerful than that. We're guarded through faith. Maybe you don't feel like you've got even a mustard seed of faith to be able to continue to hold on. He guards you. He gives you more faith. He, he sustains you. His mercies are new every morning. He guards you by His power. That ought to cause us to praise Him. Hallelujah. He's caused us to be born again. He has an inheritance that will never fade away. And if we feel like we just can't keep, keep going, if we feel like we, we can't keep from giving in, He guards us by His power. That ought to cause us to praise Him for our salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, God talked, the Bible talks about our salvation in three senses. We, we got saved, past tense. He, he, he redeemed us. He washed us. He, he brought us from darkness into light, from death into life. He, he's done these things in the past. And yet, the Bible also talks about a present experience of salvation. He's saving us. And he talks also about a future salvation. We're looking forward to that time. When Jesus comes again, and it says here, it's ready to be revealed in the last time. There's going to be a day when, when we maybe, when we felt like, 
I just don't know if I have enough faith. Remember when we have many doubts in ourselves, and one of these days Jesus is going to come and he's going to tear the veil away, and we'll see that all along we've been real. When our faith just wasn't enough, when we felt like, I just don't know, he'll come one day and that he'll tear the veil away and that salvation that's already ours will see in its fullness. It's ready to be revealed, so it's ready now. He's saved us. He's brought us a new life. He's, he's caused us to be born again. It's ready to be revealed. And we'll see it in its fullness when he comes again. We need to remember these things as we live in the midst of a hostile world. How will you have the strength to be able to not conform to the world around us? How will you have the strength to be able to keep following Jesus in the midst of a world of all kinds of pressures? It's by remembering these things. It's by remembering what he has done for us. That ought to cause us to 